Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy teaches a sermon titled, How to Deal with Irritating People, from the book of 1 John, chapter 2. Hate is not the opposite of love. Indifference is. Love is the energy directed towards another person for their sake so that it costs you. Hate is the energy directed at another person for your sake so that it costs them. Hate makes you blind. When you use all this energy against someone, you have no idea the damage you're doing until it gets brought into the light. Jesus takes all your hate and absorbs it. This frees us to bring it into the light. Confess your pain, your hurt, and your hate. Confession breaks its power. Then you can forgive as you have been forgiven by Jesus. I love it that Danette got the biggest and longest hug ever. That's fantastic. Oh, it's wonderful. Hi, friends. Good morning. You made it through the rain, through the flooding, through the time change. So good to have you. And for those of you online in bed, we love you. Enjoy the warmth. And we pray that this, would, this service would be a delight to you whenever you're watching it. Uh, we believe three things as a church. And we see this in Scripture this is the heartbeat of Isaiah 61. We see this repeated all the time in Scripture, and this is what it looks like to, to be a disciple, one who follows or literally walks in footsteps with Jesus. There's three things that we believe. Number one, there's always hope beyond our brokenness. Always. We don't know what Capone's story is. Danette does, but we know that right there in that moment, he was given hope in the middle of his despair. And you are welcome here no matter what your story is because all of us have the same story. We were lost and he found us. We were dead and he revived us. We didn't feel like we belonged anywhere and now he's chosen us forever. Amen? And second, we get to trust Jesus. That's that word faith. Faith is the same word as trust, right? It's a relationship word. It's I'm going to open my heart and be vulnerable and share everything and talk about everything and put the weight of my life in Jesus' capable hands. And we do that together because we do that one step at a time in our life, one area at a time in our life. And we don't need to have uh, it all perfect and all together we just trust him because he's alive, he's risen, and he's here. I could feel the Holy Spirit as we were singing, Lord, I need you. And then that could feel the Holy Spirit when she gave that check away, and Kelly could feel the Holy Spirit when she asked for help. And so we're going to be talking a lot about that today, what it looks like to trust him, especially when we deal with twits, Right? <laughs> Lastly, we're called to bring restoration to our city and to our communities and to our world, and we get to do this together, and it is remarkable to see what a difference you are making in the lives of people that you don't even know. Church is the only organization, Jesus' church is the only organization on planet Earth that exists for the sake of people who are not its members. And so you, you are uh, so generous I talk to other pastors about what our little church is doing, and they are stunned at the impact that you're making. And so just know that you are making a profound difference in people's lives. 
I wish you could hear all of the stories all of the time about what's happening in each of your lives because the only, there would be only one conclusion, and that is Jesus is so wildly, profoundly active and presence in our, present in our midst that what is going on here is like nothing I've ever seen. So thank you for joining Jesus in his resurrection work. And I just can't wait to see what God's going to do this week. Even though it's going to rain again. So, can I have permission to speak to your heart of hearts? Because what we're going to be talking about today is, I mean, Jesus just flat out says it in 1 John. He says, you know, don't hate your brother or sister, but love them. Don't walk in the darkness, but walk in the light. And I think that when we read passages like this, we think, well, you know, I I'm, I'm, haven't been a felon, you know, recently. So, like, I'm, I'm okay, you know. Like, I don't tell anybody, I hate you. Uh, and so we can immediately think that, that this is about somebody else. And I, I want to be able to tell you that this is for you and the person you dragged here. It's for them too, so good job getting them here. But it's for you as well. So do I have permission to speak to you? Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again just pray protection over this space and time. We bind and mute anything and everything opposed to Christ that would be attacking us or bothering us, whether we're home or in our car or listening. Uh, or they're here in the sanctuary now in the name of Jesus. Do you guys agree? If so, say amen. amen. And we cast the enemy off of us and out of this space in the name of Jesus. And that goes for anybody listening online as well. And we pray your protection now. Oh, we command the enemy to go to Jesus to be judged. We don't want to be, we want to be good neighbors. We don't, no, that'd be terrible. All the people in the dog park would have a horrible morning. <laughs> Jesus, we just pray that... Uh, we pray your protection over this space and this time. And we say yes to you, Jesus. We say to our own souls, awaken, O oh my soul, and all that it is within me. We offer our heart to you, Jesus. Your love is like a fetter, a chain. And we're asking that you would bind us to you this morning, that we wouldn't get distracted or sleepy, that we would Make a choice to pay attention to what you're saying to us, Jesus, through your word. We're so fickle, God, and so we're asking right now, God, for attention and faithfulness in this moment to hear what you have have to say to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. So... uh, let me give you a summary of where we are in 1 John. We're, we're doing the Johns, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, and so let me give you a summary of where we are because we're going to do chapter 2 today. Uh, chapter 1 goes like this. Uh, what will bring you fellowship and joy, so what will, what will help you feel connected and like you belong, as well as an incredible amount of joy, is your honesty. Your honesty with Jesus and your honesty with each other. I mean, Jesus knows everything anyways, right? Some of you were looking at Barb. Barb is not Jesus. Look at me, right? 
Barb knows everything about you, but Jesus knows everything about you. Does that make sense? Right? So why not be honest? Uh, tell what you did. Tell what was done to you. Tell what you hope. Tell your, about your dreams and your desires, and, and you will be washed clean. That's the promise in 1 John. And John's going to say in several different ways that avoiding in con- uh, confession, right? And confession just isn't, t- like, it's not just saying, I'm sorry for what I did. It is that, but it's also telling the truth about what, what's happening in your life, right? What happened to you and what's going on right now. Um, so if you avoid that, if you hide out in shame, if you're silent because you don't, well, you're just prideful. You just think you're better than everybody else. I mean, they need to confess. I'm fine, right? If you deny any wrongdoing because you think others are just simply far, far worse. I mean, confession's a good idea for those people. You know what that's called, right? That's called self-righteousness. Anybody want that on their resume in heaven? No. If you do that, that keeps you in the dark. And living in the darkness while claiming to walk with Jesus in the light makes us liars is the word that John used. Lying is a tragedy given God's immense love for you. Why? Because Jesus is your advocate. Like in the darkness, Jesus is working on your behalf to love you and bless you. So be honest about your darkness. But Jesus is not just an advocate, like somebody who's like helping you out. It's more than that. He's your propitiation. He's your atoning sacrifice. He's the one who took you out of immense debt and paid that debt with the cost of his own life and took you from broke to now depositing into your account more than you could ever earn because he's given you everything that he's earned. He's the judge who could condemn you, but instead he's gotten down off the judgment seat and taken the just condemnation you deserve and emptied out his pockets of everything that he's earned and said, live while he serves your sentence. Amen? Amen? This is the glory of the gospel, so stop hiding! That's what John is saying. God sees you. You're the, we're the little children who think that we can get away with stuff. Well, parents are like, are you kidding me? I can see the chocolate on your hands. Right? And Jesus does all of this not because he has to, not because he's tasked with it, but because he wants to. He loves you. This is called the good news. It's different than good advice. Good advice is Christianity where it says, Jesus paid your debt, so now you're broke. Here's your advice to earn your way to heaven. That's called religiosity, and it stinks. Can you smell that from a mile away? You say to somebody, how are you? And they say, oh, I'm too blessed to be distressed. (laughs) What is that smell? 
right? Ah, just be honest, be real, be normal. The, the gospel allows you to, to, to say, Jesus has blessed me with more than I could ever earn, and so therefore I am loved more than I could ever hope. He's paid the price for my sin, therefore I can be honest that I'm more broken than I even want to admit. And this is what everybody wants to hear in life. They don't need good advice, they need good news. And news is something where something else outside of your everyday life has changed your everyday life. And that's what Jesus has done. Outside of anything you could do or earn on your own, he's changed you forever. So will you just take a breath with me? And let's just say thank you to Jesus while you take in your next breath. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I was talking to a friend this week. He was putting his daughter down, his nine-year-old daughter down for bed and doing the bedtime story and having the daddy-daughter snuggles and just that magic. And they're talking, and it's just this really precious time. And my friend tells me, I'm like, Andy, I'm holding back tears the entire time. Like, you know, this is just like, one of those magic moments where you kind of realize that it's not going to last forever. And it's that moment where it's like, oh, this is it. This is the magic. And this little girl kind of takes her this deep breath and she closes her eyes and she breathes like two more times, deep breath, and she falls asleep. And my friend is about to pray over his daughter. And then Jesus interrupts him. I don't know if you've ever been interrupted by Jesus <laughs> in a prayer. I hope that if you ever start your prayer with, I'm so sorry I haven't talked to you more often, that you would listen to when Jesus interrupts you and says, stop, just talk to me. But my friend is about to pray over his daughter, and Jesus interrupts his prayer and says, now imagine how much I love you. So just take another breath again. All the way, the bottom half of your lungs. We're going to be talking today about the love that Jesus has for you. And also how to deal with irritating people. Now, you can draw from the well of how much Jesus loves you when dealing with irritating people. That includes yourself. <laughs> or you can draw from another well, which is called hatred. You are free to make the choice. You are not bound to one or the other. Jesus does not take away your sovereignty over that choice. It's yours to make. And so John is going to encourage us to make that choice to love. But we're going to talk all about that today. You ready? Yeah. Jesus, help. Yes? yes? 
Shake your shoulders. Yeah? Great. You ready? Stuart, can you just crack that side door? The humidity is high in this room. Y'all are sweating already? It's going to be a good sermon. Watch out. Okay, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And where we left off last week was 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Ready? Read this with me. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Notice that horrible little word, must. Um, why? Why does John use the command? Why does John say you must live this way? Uh, it's not to condemn you because you don't. It, John is trying to help you avoid pain. I mean, how many times have you been in the place where someone has to confront you because you've hurt them? Tim and Wes are honest this morning, but oh, there's Coley as well. Okay, uh, you don't have to raise your hands. It's okay. I appreciate your participation, but we've all been in that place, right? Uh, how many times have you been in the place where the people that you thought were really close all of a sudden start distancing themselves for you, but then, then you wonder why, Right? How many times have you been, you wake up at 3 a.m. and you're eaten alive by anxiety because you just can't figure out how, why things are happening in your life, but the only common denominator in all of the messes is you? How many, how many times do you lay in bed at night and you say, I know I shouldn't be angry like that, or I know I shouldn't hide like that, or I know I shouldn't be prideful like that, or I know I shouldn't be anxious like that? But you can't get out of that place. And what John is saying is that what you do matters, your choices matter, how you think matters, what you believe matters. And the farther that you walk with Jesus in this life, he's going to ask for access to more and more of your heart. And you have the choice to give him access or not. That's yours. And what John is saying is, please give him access to your heart because the only other thing that happens when you don't do that is that there's pain. And you start stacking that pain up and it leads to the death of an opportunity, the death of a relationship, sometimes even your literal death. And John and Jesus want to help you avoid that. So if you claim to live with Jesus, then we get to start living like Jesus, and that choice, that doing and trusting is called the life of faith. Make sense? You don't have to do it perfectly, but you got to do it. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter if you have a check for a billion dollars in your hand. You're still broke. What do you have to do in order to get that billion dollars? Take it to the bank. Yes? Then put it in your account. So there's a doing that's part of the receiving. And it's the same thing with the love of God. It's the same thing with the inheritance of salvation. 
that there's a doing with the receiving. So John's going to tell us what this looks like. He's going to explain what he means in detail. Verse 7. Ready? Read with me. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Now, he's writing to people who he knows, and they know him. So, you know, when you are around a church or around a leader, and they kind of say the same things over and over and over and over and over again, you kind of go, oh, yeah, I know what the old command is. What's the old command? Well, it's from the book of Leviticus. It's from Leviticus 19.18. If you were to take um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that's called the law or the Torah. And the very middle of it, the literal middle of it, is Leviticus 19.18, and it goes like this. Do not seek, read this with me, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the heartbeat of the Old Testament is in Deuteronomy 6.5, which is the Shema, uh, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength every day, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the twin commands, the pillars of what it looks like to be a faithful Jew. That's the old command, which is amazing. I mean, the old command is ridiculously good if we were to follow it. Live a life free of resentments. That's a bonus, right? Um, the way that you treat yourself, treat others that way. That's, that's a phenomenal way to live. But Jesus takes that command and then elevates it or ups the ante. John says this in verse 8, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, that's Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. The new command, as we've seen in Jesus, is what Jesus told us in Luke uh, chapter 6, 31. You all memorized this verse when we did this eight months ago. Read this with me just as a refresher for those who weren't here. <laughs> do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, you might think, okay, well, those commands sound the same. Leviticus and Luke sound the same. Well, they're not exactly the same. Just look at them side by side. Leviticus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? That's good. It works if you love yourself. But what if you beat the crap out of yourself all the time? Uh-oh. What if you hate yourself? What if you diminish yourself? If the way you treat yourself is horrible, how are you going to treat other people? Listen, y'all, you got a tool belt on of emotional tools that you use. The tool that you use on yourself is the tool you will use on another person because it's the one you use. You can only use the tool that you have in your hand. And so if you're always condemning yourself when you mess up, what are you going to do with the people in your life who mess up? You're going to condemn them. Whether you think you are or not, that's what you're doing. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says something different. It's slightly different, but it's really important. It's not love your neighbor as yourself. It's do to others as you would have them do to you. It's like, how would you like to be treated? 
How would you like to be treated when you're a success? How would you like to be treated when you're hurting? How would you like to be treated when you make a mistake? How would you like to be treated when you're in grief? How would you like to be treated when you're just working hard and you need some help? How would you like to be treated? Okay, now to go ahead and do that. When they respond well, mm-hmm. When they're twits? No, that's in Second Opinions, chapter one. <laughs> that, that's not how it goes, right? Like, nah, not when they're twits. That's when, they're, that's when we rain fire on them. No, that's not how it goes, right? It's do unto others as you would have them to do, uh, have them do to you all the time, all the time. So then John drives home this point in verse 9. Read with me out loud while I take a drink. Anyone who claims to be in the light and anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Andy, I said, hate's a pretty strong word. That's like a, it's like a four-letter word, right? Like, I don't hate people. I don't hate my brother and say, well, maybe my sister, but like, I don't like hate people. Like, that's terrible, right? Isn't that a crime? Isn't that a felony? It's like, we think hate equals murder, right? And it's true that when you murder someone, you're hating them, but then we, we just sort of say, well, hate's classified in that category. But, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a nice person that lives in the central coast of California. I escaped the hate of San Jose or L.A. or Bakersfield or Fresno. Like, I'm here in the promised land where there is just wine and the beach, right? <laughs> like, like what, what could, there's no hate here, right? It, it, let, me, let me break this down for you. Uh, hate is, in the Bible, biblically speaking, uh, is this umbrella term, okay? In our culture, we, we classify hate as a word that we would never, ever, ever use. Uh, you only reserve it, uh, like, right before violence or something like that, or the people that are just have wounded you the most, and you just say it out loud, uh, but we don't use it in everyday speech. But in the Bible, they use it all the time. Jesus talks about hate all the time. Um, and we think oftentimes that hate is the opposite of love. It's not. Um, the opposite of love is indifference. It's apathy. Does that make sense? Why do I say that? We, we use these really unhateful, unhelpful phrases like, well, you either love it or hate it. And that phrase is trying to contrast these two realities, but they're not opposites uh, in the sense that I'm talking about today. Uh, Love is this big umbrella of energy that you would use for the sake of another person to bless them at your cost. Does that make sense? So generosity is under that umbrella. I'm going to care for someone for their sake at my cost. Forgiveness, I'm going to not prosecute them for their sake at my cost. Does that make sense? Compliments, when you love someone, love does, right? You cook them dinner for their sake 
at the cost of your energy or your budget. You take them out to dinner, you pay for it, you buy them flowers, you buy them gifts for their sake, at your cost, that's love. 11 people say yes. You understand? Okay. So love is energy directed at another person for their sake so that it costs you. That's love. Hate is in the, in the same way that love is this umbrella of energy for the sake of another person so that it costs you. Hate is this umbrella term or word, or this hate is this energy directed at another person so that it costs them, them, for your sake. You want to make them pay. So hate and yo, you gossip at them so their social credit goes down. You get other people behind them to isolate them. You tear them down with words in front of their face and make them feel bad. You make them pay so that you feel better. That's hate. Does that make sense? So hate includes felonies like murders and assault and all that other kind of stuff. Yes, it includes all that, but it's also this umbrella term that if you have energy directed at another person where you're trying to make them pay so that you'll feel better, that's called hate. I've had people who left the church and campaigned against me. They've complained to others who attend the church. They stir up trouble against me. That's called hate. This last month, I spent a lot of money and time helping another pastor friend of mine build a pergola in their backyard. This huge, like, beam, like, construction pergola thing, you know, like, post and tenon, like the whole nine yards. I know how to do that carpentry mistake. And when I help them correct, when I tell them what to do, they haven't listened. And then they've been irritated that I'm being bossy, even though they're asking for my help. (laughs) And then when they make a mistake and I say, no, you don't do it that way, that's actually a mistake, then they get mad and then they get angry with me, but then they need my help and my money to fix it. (laughs) And... And this is a friend. Yes, a friend. Uh, can you believe it? I know. It sounds like your child, but it's not. It's, your, it's, it's my friend. And this week, my pastor friend came to me in tears apologizing. And I said, for what? And my pastor friend said, well, I've hated you. And they were accurate. They have. They resented me, and they mistreated me, and they took advantage of my time and my energy and my money all because they wanted to do it by themselves to prove how great they were, even though I had no idea what they were doing. And even though I helped them pay not only for the materials, but also for their mistakes. And I got to tell them, yeah, you've irritated my soul. (laughs) And I got to tell them, I got to confess to you, I've, I've hated you for how you've treated me. I've wanted to make them pay. I've wanted to make them feel so guilty for how they've treated me. Sometimes I really don't like preaching because whatever the text is that week, I go through it. 
There's got to be some portion of the Bible where it's like incredible financial blessing. Like, like where's that? Can we, can we just do that for like six weeks in a row? But this stuff, oh my gosh. So let me ask you something. Are you stewing about someone right now? Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's another person. Are you expending energy getting people on your side against them? Are you holding resentments and grudges against them? Are you composing blistering texts to them? Maybe you send them, maybe you don't. Or do you have so much anger and resentment and hate in you that it's spilling out on people in your family that, uh, that don't deserve it? You know, that milk spills or the toilet paper is faced the wrong way or the seat isn't down or whatever, and you just blow up, right? Where your rage isn't, doesn't correspond to whatever is happening. That's evidence that you have some hate going on in your life. So John says it really clear. Verse 11, let's read. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness. By the way, when it's dark, can you see? Oh, really? What do you do when you're walking around in the darkness? You break toes. You run into stuff. You run into other people. Well, keep on reading with me. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. When you have all this energy against someone or even yourself, you have no idea the damage you're doing until the lights get flipped on. I've, I've done a lot of shooting, like, you know, pew, pew, bang, bang shooting, that kind of shooting <laughs> in my life. Um, I love shooting sports. I, I've done, ever since I was in Boy Scouts, I've always loved shooting. And as you get licenses and shoot firearms and take training classes and stuff, one of the things that the instructor always tells you is that there's a lawyer tied to every bullet that exits the muzzle of whatever gun you're firing. So you better be sure where you're shooting. Ain't nobody just like, bang, bang, yeah, Jesus loves us, right? I didn't bring a firearm as an example this morning. Right? But you have to make sure where you are shooting every single time. I'll never forget being at Brittany's house. I like Brittany. I was 13. She was 13. She was cute. She brought me over to her parents' house. Now, that previously in that week, we had kissed for the first time at church. Church is the best place to kiss when you're 13 years old. No one suspects that you're going to do it. It's fantastic. And I went over to Brittany's house, and it was fantastic. And I met her parents, and her parents were super cool. And her dad brought out a Red Ryder BB gun. And I was so excited because I didn't have a BB gun. And he's like, look, I set up like all these cool targets, metal targets in the backyard. And I'm like, dude, Brittany's parents are awesome. And Brittany's cute, and she wants to kiss me, even though my voice is real high. And my head was huge, and I had no hair on my legs. Like, I was like, yes, right? So Brittany's dad shoots the BB gun. The BB plinks off the metal target and hits me square in the forehead, right? I had a literal dent in the middle of my forehead. 
And they were all so horrified. They were so embarrassed. They were like, you got to go. Like, I didn't get to eat the pie. I didn't get to eat the dinner. Like, my mom went and picked me up. No, no, I pedaled my bike home. That was the indignity of it all, was that I had to, like, get myself home. Brittany would never talk to me again out of sheer embarrassment, right? Yeah. Why am I telling? I don't know. What was I lost the point on that one. Yeah, blindness? Yeah, what are, we, what are we doing? Ah, there it is. Like, when you're stumbling around in the darkness and you're shooting in the darkness, because that's what hate is, and all your anger and all your rage, you have no idea how, what you're doing and where it's ricocheting off and hitting, the, oh yeah, that's where it is, where it's ricocheting off and hitting other people until the light gets turned on. And then you just realize you've just created incredible damage in your family and in your friend groups and in your most intimate relationships. And, and they bear the cost of that sometimes for the rest of their life. It's brutal. I've borne the cost of other people's anger to hate. It's horrible. It's horrible. It has nothing to do with you, but it wrecks you. What's God's response to you when you do that? What's God's response to me when I do that? Verse 12, I'm writing to you, dear children, read it with me, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. What? Here's me in the darkness just making a wreck of everything hurting people, destroying relationships. And then he pays the price for all of my hate, all of it. He pays the eternal price for it. My sins are forgiven. This is why Jesus says, turn on the light. Talk about what's happening in your life. Talk about your hate. Talk about your pain. Talk about your hurt. Talk about how much you want to make them pay so that you don't make them pay. Does that make sense? We have a really weird thing in our culture where it's like, oh, I can't talk about my brokenness or I can't talk about how much I really dislike this person. But if you actually talk about how much you really dislike this person, now you have the chance to go and actually treat that person well. So when my friend, my pastor friend came and confessed to me what they had done. I'd spent the previous five days talking with other friends saying, I'm going to strangle them. Like, I'm going a, I'm to a kick them. I'm going I'm to make them pay. I'm going to do all this stuff. I was getting all of it out so that in every interaction I could have with my pastor friend, I could be kind. I could be gracious. Why? Because I was preaching this dang sermon. And every single time I wanted to take revenge on my friend, Jesus is like, <clears throat> do not hate. I was like, oh, dang it. Like, I'm not perfect at it. I, I, I make people pay sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All our sins have been forgiven. Like, even when we mess it up, even when other people hurt us, all our sins are forgiven. Let me say two things here. You are allowed to set healthy boundaries with people in your life that 
keep on walking in the darkness and keep on hurting you. You need to talk with counselors. You need to talk with friends. But it's okay to take a step back from those people that are actively hurting you with their hate. Does that make sense? Don't make that decision on your own. Don't make it out of resentment. Talk it out with counselors, with friends, with pastors, whatever. What do you need? But you're allowed to make that decision to put up healthy boundaries with that person. Now, here's what we do as the church, which just so irritates my soul, is that we will watch a person in the darkness, and they're not hurting us. And you know what we'll do? We'll hate them. We'll say, look at their sin. They can't come here. See how what they've done? They're toxic. See what they do with their bodies, with their sexuality, with their money, with their politics? Ugh. That's hate. That's hate. We gather all together and we say, oh, if they just would take a shower first, then they could come here. Like, the gospel says that Jesus gets us clean. Ain't none of you fixed your life before you met Jesus. He did the work with you. Oh, somebody say amen to that one. We are trying to build a community here, not where we sacrifice truth or give up the truth of Scripture at all, but where our love for other people isn't mixed with hate because manure and ice cream don't go well together. Know what I'm saying? So now, John then calls the next group of people. He tells all of us our sins have been forgiven. Now he's going to talk to people who who take responsibility to lead their families, who take responsibility to lead in their work, who take responsibility. They're leaders. He calls them fathers. It's not gender-specific. It's a role of leadership. And this is what John says. Read with me verse 13. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. He's saying, I'm writing to you, parents, those of you who lead, because you know Jesus, and to lead your families in your place of work or here at church or at home, wherever it is, you are called to be people who direct all their energy for the sake of other people at your cost. That's what a leader is. That's love, and that's also walking in the light. And guess what? Your family and your church and your place of work needs you to do this. They need you to love them and sacrifice for them and bless them at your cost for their sake. They need that. And guess what? You do that, and it is beautiful. Now, I have one thing to say. Often, we're working so hard to do this, whether we're home or at work. And let's just say we're at work. Let's say we're working so hard. Many of us come home, and our first instinct is to recoup the energy that we've lost by relaxing. Right? We sit in that chair, and we press that magic button, and our feet go up, <laughs> and Netflix goes on, and our brain turns off. Okay? Relaxing isn't bad. Relaxing is glorious, beautiful. But what's the opposite of love? 
indifferent. And if you come home and all you do is sit in that chair, I know you've worked hard. I know you've given of yourself at your cost for the sake of other people. But when you go home, your family still needs you to care for them first. Does that make sense? Then relax away. Okay? That chair will still be there. The shows will still be there. We don't watch TV anymore. We're like, we're going to miss a program. Like, it's all going to be okay. Okay? Thursday night at 8 o'clock when Friends is on doesn't exist anymore. You can watch it 24 hours a day. Does that make sense? When you come home, your family needs to know that you're not indifferent to them. They need to know that you're are invested in them and care about them first. Why? Well, Jesus loves you when he's exhausted. Jesus loves you when he's burdened. Jesus loves you even when you don't acknowledge that he does. As parents and leaders, we love and we live just like Jesus does. Make it a sense? Okay. We're almost done. Verse 13. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Young men are, again, it's not gender specific. It's just a role. And the role is the people that aren't necessarily leading all the time in every area of our life, which means that if you're in that role, you're doing the heavy lifting of the work. Oh, someone say amen. That's what it is to be young. It's you're not leading all the time, but you're doing the heavy lifting of the work. And what John says to these people is, you've overcome the evil one. And it's true. You've overcome the evil one. If you're young you've, and you're here or you're listening, you've overcome the evil one. You know not to hold resentments. You know how to forgive. You know what it looks like to trust Jesus. You know what it is to worship. And the pattern that you start now in your life when you're young, will continue and build momentum. And so John is saying, start the pattern well. Start the pattern first and keep it and hold it. Because if you hold grudges in your 20s, what are your relationships are going to look like in your 40s? Not good. You will be known as the angry, bitter person that no one wants to be around, but no one will tell you to that face because if you, you to your face because if they tell you that, then you get mad at them. Spread gossip in your 30s, and by your 50s, you will have zero close friends. The evil one wants you hiding and hateful and alone. That's darkness. And what John is saying is you've overcome the evil one. Practice walking in the light in your youth. And by the time that you are old, you'll have real practice under your belt. And so when massive storms come, you'll still be in the light. If you want revival in your family, revival that I believe is breaking out in this church, the reviver must be at the center of your life. Amen. 14, John says, I write to you, dear old children, because you know the Father. He speaks to all of us again. Our Father's heart is with us. 14, I write to you, leaders, because you know him who's from the beginning. I love that John says the exact same thing to parents. Hey, by the way, 
Um, don't forget, um, love like he does. Love them for their sake at your cost. Why? Because as leaders, we love people for their sake at their cost. And you know what happens? They don't change. They still build it wrong. You tell them what to do. You make all the parts, and then they break them. You buy the stuff, and then they ruin it. They paint, not stain. You sand, and then they, oh, whoo, they don't listen. Keep on loving, keep on loving, keep on loving, keep on loving. Because the people that you lead aren't going to get it the first time, because neither did you. Verse 14, or again, 14, I write to you, young men, because you're strong. Those of us doing the heavy lifting, men and women, because you're strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you've overcome the evil one. I think this is like, I think Winnie the Pooh read John. Because what he says is this, you're stronger than you think. You're braver than you seem. And I'll just edit Winnie's version. You're more loved than you could ever dare to hope. The first way to deal with irritating people in your life is to deal with you. And you can draw on the well of the gospel when you deal with your own failures and love yourself and be honest and give grace to yourself. If you use it another tool, you'll use it on people that you love and it won't go well. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. Love. Love yourself. Receive the love Jesus has for yourself, has for you, and then you'll have something to give away. And I'm so sorry that this is the passage for this week. Because you are going to find people that will irritate your soul this week. And you can hate them or you can love them. And so I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would love them. Because you're so profoundly loved by Jesus. And all God's people said... Would you stand for the benediction? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, that's his delight in you, and give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Have a great day, y'all. If you're online, bless you guys. We love you. Have a great day. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.